This afternoon we'll be looking at God's Word as confessed in Lord's Day 32. As we move into the portion of our catechism, Heidelberg Catechism, our studies in it that focus on our thankfulness, we'll read in connection with that from Romans 6. Romans 6, the verses 1 to 14. After which we'll read from James 2, the verses 14 to 26. Romans 6, the verses 1 to 14. You can find that on page 1298 of your pew Bible. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore we were buried with him through baptism into death. That just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. For he who has died has been freed from sin. Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in its lusts. And do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. So far. Our next passage will be from James chapter 2. James chapter 2, the verses 14 to 26, which you can find on page 1387 of your Pew Bible. What does a prophet, my brethren, if someone says that he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him? If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to them, Depart in peace, be warmed and filled, but you do not give them the things which are needed for the body, what does it profit? Thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, You have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that there is one God, you do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. But do you want to know, O foolish man, that faith without works is dead? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac his son on the altar? Do you see that faith was working together with his works, and by works faith was made perfect? And the scripture was fulfilled, which says, Abraham believed God, And it was counted to him for righteousness. 
and he was called the friend of God. You see then that a man is justified by works and not by faith only. Likewise, was not Rahab the prostitute also justified by works when she received messengers and sent them out another way? For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. Finally, we'll be reading together from the Heidelberg Catechism. As is our habit, we'll be reading through it section by section. And today's section is the beginning of the third part of the Catechism on our thankfulness. Lord's Day 32, which you can find on page 548 of your book of praise. Since we have been delivered from our misery by grace alone through Christ, without any merit of our own, why must we yet do good works? Because Christ, having redeemed us by his blood, also renews us by his Holy Spirit to be his image, so that with our whole life we may show ourselves thankful to God for his benefits, and he may be praised by us. Further, that we ourselves may be assured of our faith by its fruits, and that by our godly walk of life we may win our neighbors for Christ. Can those be saved who do not turn to God from their ungrateful and impenitent walk of life? By no means. Scripture says that no unchaste person, idolater, adulterer, thief, greedy person, drunkard, slanderer, robber, or the like, shall inherit the kingdom of God. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, with the warm weather that we're having now and the days getting warmer and brighter, it makes it clear to us that winter is well behind us. A season filled with planting and long days on the farm is now in full swing. And the Lord willing will be given another bountiful year, allowing the farmers to bring in the harvest so the nation can be braced and prepared for the hungry winter months which soon follow after the harvests. We can get through these winter months because of the hard work of men and women who labor diligently in the fields over the course of the summer. Now, perhaps this isn't something that we feel uh, as much today, but 200 years ago, we certainly would have noticed the difference if they had had a bad year as opposed to a good year. It would have made the difference between comfort and starvation for many people. The weather conditions of the spring and summer months have to be good. The soil in which the seed is planted in has to be good. The roots that go down into that soil to feed the plants, they have to be good roots and well-rooted in the, in the earth. Also, in the orchards, the trees have to have roots that reach down deep to the water table in order to give us that juicy, plump, ripe fruit that we so like to enjoy from the grocery store. Now, in the same way, we ourselves today also need good roots. Good roots that is planted in good soil. Our Lord Jesus Christ makes this clear in the parable of the sower who who goes out to sow and he sows on different kinds of soil producing different kinds of results. As in that example, if we're firmly rooted and nourished in Christ, we'll produce a crop of even a hundredfold. As branches of the vine who is Christ 
will produce fruit in bearing with our faith. Apart from Christ, we have no good thing, but in him we have received riches and abundance and salvation. And planted in him, we grow solidly, ready to live fruitful lives of thankfulness in his name. That's what the catechism lesson today highlights for us. And this is what we'll examine this afternoon. I bring you the word of God under the following theme and points. Rooted in the Son and renewed by the Holy Spirit, believers bring forth fruit pleasing to our Heavenly Father. And we'll see, first of all, that good trees mean good roots. Second, that bad fruit means bad roots. And third, good trees bear good fruit. To understand where we're coming from, we first need to take stock for a moment of where we are in the Heidelberg Catechism. If you recall, our catechism is divided into three parts, sin, salvation, service. Or, as you can find elsewhere, people describing it as guilt, grace, and gratitude. These three themes are very important to the life of a believer. And these three themes can be found throughout Scripture. We can find them most famously in the book of Romans, after which our catechism takes its pattern. So guilt, grace, and gratitude, what do these three terms mean? Guilt is discussed in the first part of our catechism. Here we learn how great our sins and misery are in the sight of God. Take notice, this doesn't focus on how we look to each other. It doesn't focus on how we see each other. Do we see each other as relatively good people? No, this focus is on how we are in God's sight. Because we can seem pretty good to each other, but God has quite a different perspective. Our catechism lays this bare and points out how we are inclined by nature to hate God and our neighbor. This is drawn straight out of Scripture. Like the prophet Isaiah says, we have all become like one who is unclean. And all of our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. We all fade like a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind take us away. Isaiah 64, verse 6. We are so corrupt in everything we do that we are unable to do any good according to God's standards outside of him. And we are inclined to all evil unless we are regenerated by the Spirit of God. And it gets even more hopeless for us because God won't let us off the hook for sin. He is a just God, so rebellion won't go unpunished. Finally, the Catechism points out that there is no way, absolutely no way, that man himself can pay for sin. Not by himself, not by any other creature. There is no way that of himself he can once again return before the throne of God and stand unashamed in his presence. But, there's, but even here there's hope, brothers and sisters. Even here there's hope. Even to come to this realization requires the radical intervention of an almighty God. Because of ourselves, we wouldn't come to this conclusion. It is God who lights up the darkest corners of your heart and says, this is you. Reaching this realization, brothers and sisters, is an act of grace 
on the part of an almighty God. Grace. This is where we are today. God lets us see our misery and our darkness, but he doesn't leave it at that. When we reach this point of understanding in our lives, God seizes us at the very core of our being, shaping and renewing our hearts and pointing us in a new direction to light and to life. Man can't save himself, but he can turn to Christ Jesus. The the Bible specifically says that we are only righteous by true faith in Jesus Christ. And our confession highlights this. God, without any merit of my own, it says, has imputed to me, meaning credited to my account, the perfect satisfaction, righteousness, and holiness of Christ. As we read in Romans 1, verse 16 to 17, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. And again, we read in Romans 10, verse 9 to 10, that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. Everything that Christ did and all of his holiness are like new clothes for you and for me. When God looks at us, he doesn't see our old, filthy rags. He doesn't see our attempts at holiness. But he sees the beautiful and blinding purity of Christ's work that we're clothed in. We have been redeemed by the blood of Christ. He is where our roots are. You are good trees because you have good roots. Isn't that amazing? Our roots grow deep and they grow strong. Outside of Jesus Christ, we're buffeted this way and that by the wind. But in him, we're like sturdy oak trees whose roots are ready to face the most powerful winds and buffeting that Satan can send against us. Although we personally might not feel courageous or confident in in the face of suffering, we know that Christ has promised himself to those who are rooted in him, and he will keep this promise. As it says in Ephesians 2, verse 8 to 10, for it's by grace that you have been saved through faith, and it's not of yourselves, it's a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast, because we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. We did not deserve anything of our own account. God gave us salvation because he wanted to. And yes, we have been saved by faith, but as we see in Ephesians 2, even that faith is a gift of God and not of our own works. Even the good works that we do, God has prepared in advance for us. And all of this, is given to us for the sake of Christ our Savior, because we are rooted in him. Whoever believes should not worry on the basis of the strength or weakness of their own faith as they see it. Rather, they should focus on this. Because of Christ, faith is a gift 
The grace is a gift of God. The faith is a gift of God. Even the good works we do are a gift of God. What a glorious reality this is. It leads us to confess, whom do I have in heaven but you? You, God of grace, my faith renew. God is the one who stooped down and did for us what we could not do. This brings us to our second point. Now, wait a second, says the Heidelberg Catechism. What's the point then? We've been delivered from our misery by grace. Even the faith we receive is a gift of God, and our good works don't contribute. It's a question that arises straight out of human nature. What's the point? Why must we yet do good works? This is a very serious question. Why must we yet do good works? This is exactly what the Roman Catholic Church around the time of the Reformation claimed would be the final outcome if reformers continued to teach salvation by faith alone. And they had good reason. Because some believers did stop there. They did stop with just the words salvation by grace through faith and nothing more came of it. Their lives didn't bear any fruit. They thought, like some of you here today might be thinking, I made it in, so I'm okay, right? So you might not like my life choices, but I believe. Now, the most devastating part of this kind of thinking is that it's based on a partial truth. It's based on twisting the doctrine of salvation by faith in Christ alone. And that makes it more deceptive. So much more. The Apostle Paul is writing about this exact same problem in Romans 6. The passage that we read. When he says, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ have been baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Paul is flabbergasted. He's absolutely dumbfounded that people have taken his teaching to this conclusion. He says, we have been saved. We were rescued from death in sin, so how can we return to it? How is it possible that we return to it? The book of Proverbs speaks about this. It says, like a dog returning to his vomit is a fool in his folly. And just going back to his folly, his recognition that, or his, his personal confession that there is no God who is ultimately in control who will hold me accountable. These are exactly the things that the catechism today points to. Rooted in Christ, we have become good trees bearing good fruit. It's impossible that those grafted into Christ should not produce good fruits of thankfulness. And that's the response that they get. Now, we have to take a moment to look at the words there. It doesn't talk about fruit of works, works as in earning anything, but they're fruits of thankfulness. It's impossible that fruits of thankfulness don't come forth. This thankful response is what James is 
emphasizing so strongly in the passage that we read. Faith, true faith, will express itself in action. He says, if you know of a brother or a sister in Christ that's poorly clothed or lacking in food and not being cared for in any way, shape, or form, and you do nothing, if all you do is say, go in peace and be warm and well-fed, all the best with your life, but you do nothing, if you have the opportunity to help or show true Christ-like love to a brother or sister in Christ, and you do nothing, James says, you are not demonstrating the fruits of faith. Know that this is not simply being thoughtless. It's not simply having something slip your mind, but it is realizing that there is someone in need Hearing Christ's call to love our neighbors, to love our brothers and sisters, and then deliberately turning our backs. That is simply a tree that bears nothing more than leaves. And you know what happens to those? Well, Mark 11 gives us a pretty vivid picture of that. Christ is walking along the path with his disciples, and he sees a fig tree on the side of the road. As he's speaking with his disciples, he wanders over to the fig tree and has a look to see if it's bearing any figs and there's nothing there. Then he sees it and he says, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. The next morning, the disciples are walking on their way back out of the city and they see this fig tree again and the fig tree is withered. Trees not rooted in Christ will wither. Branches not bearing fruit in keeping with the vine that they are connected to. The Bible speaks about them being cut off and thrown into the fire. A second aspect of a falsely rooted tree that the catechism itself highlights more clearly is deliberately continuing in sin. Summarizing passages like 1 Corinthians 6 verse 9 to 10. Galatians 5, 19-21, Ephesians 5, verse 5, the catechism lists off a few of the options. No unchaste person, idolater, adulterer, thief, greedy person, drunkard, slander, robber, or the like will inherit the kingdom of God. And this is by no means an exhaustive list. Recall what Christ said about the law. It can run much deeper. If someone even looks at a woman lustfully, he has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If someone hates his brother, he's already committed murder. And seemingly minor sins like gossip and slander, which are so easy to entertain if other people are not around, are things that we need to beware of as well. Because as we read at the end of these lists in 1 Corinthians 6 and Galatians 5, people who deliberately continue in these sins will not inherit the kingdom of God. If a tree bears bad fruit, It is not rooted in Christ, and it's destined for destruction. There are the weeds that live in a good crop in the field that will be separated and thrown into the fire. If hiding behind the veneer of cold, hard faith becomes an excuse to continue in sin, it leads to terrible consequences. Why? Because it means that we continue in sin. We are living in direct rebellion to God. We're promoting the idol of self, the kingdom of me, at the cost of our neighbor. 
at the cost of his well-being and at the cost of the glory that's due to God. Works are important, but not because they contribute to our salvation. We'll see that in a moment. Now then, as we see that we can't continue in sin, we can't continue in evil works, but we are called to return to Christ, then the question remains, what do good works accomplish? Are they a part of something that can save us? What's, what's the point behind it? Now there are four main reasons that are given why we do good works. First, that we can show ourselves thankful to God. Second, that God may be praised by us. Third, that we can ourselves receive assurance of our faith. And finally, that we can win our neighbors for Christ. Now, every breath that we give, every breath that we take in this world is something that we can be incredibly thankful to God for. Every moment that we live is a fresh gift from him. But we have so much more to be thankful for than that. No one has greater cause for thanks than the Christian. Because the Christian can look at all of this. The Christian can see himself or herself burdened down by their sin. That great weight that is pressing down. And they can see that there is deliverance. There is light. There is hope. As we read in Ephesians 2, our faith and our works are granted to us in Jesus Christ. In Jesus Christ, we find deliverance. In Jesus Christ, we are delivered from sin and death. And all of this comes by mere grace. As such, we can turn around and demonstrate our thankfulness to God through our good works. When we fall away, when we return to our sin, it is reason for us to examine ourselves. It is reason for us to do so. But we don't stay in hopelessness there. Jesus has said that all who repent and turn to him will be saved. That all who lean on him for everything that they need for their salvation will be saved. And this comes to us through grace. As such, we turn around and demonstrate our thankfulness to God by our good works. They show that we are casting ourselves on the mercy of God. They show that we are not doing this for me. We are not doing this because I want to promote myself. But we are doing this for a higher reason. We are doing this in service to God. And when we see this coming to life in our lives, when our motivations turn away from our own hearts, when our motivations turn away from making ourselves look good, and when we begin to work out our salvation because we want to glorify God, 
then we can see the hope that is coming forth through us. We can see that there is something that's changing us from within. We see these very same thoughts in Romans 12, verse 1. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. This would not be possible in and of ourselves. But this is something that we see being worked in us by the Holy Spirit because of God's mercy when it occurs. And so we are living in thanks. Thanks to the fact that God is working these works in us. With this, we can go forward with the assurance that God himself is shaping us and molding us into a spiritual house, a holy priesthood built on the cornerstone of Christ. The second reason is that Christ may be praised by us. God created us for his glory. And it gives him great pleasure to have his creation praise him. Our praise isn't perfect. It's only a small beginning. But think of this, kids in the congregation, think of this for a second. When your dad or mom buys you a coloring set, do they expect you to be amazing right away? To have these amazing drawings of mountain vistas and of ponies and other things? No. Is it payment for having bought a coloring set? Uh, for having bought you a coloring set or letting you live in their house that you draw them a picture? No. You draw your picture for them because you love them and because you are their children. And because you're their children, they think that even your worst drawing, created with the paper that they bought, with the pencils that they gave you, is beautiful. And if you give them their drawing, they'll probably put it up on the fridge so that everyone who comes to visit can see it. And they love it because it comes from you. And God loves it when you do good things, not because they are perfect in and of themselves, but because in Christ you are his. And these good works, sanctified by his grace, come from you for the glory of God. When we are gathered together like we are here today and worship him, it is pleasing to him. But that doesn't just go for Sundays. Every single day of our life becomes a gift to God and is pleasing to him. A gift granted to, by, by the gifts that are granted to us that are only made possible through what he's done in us. So we can take advantage of that and praise God through every moment. Third, we do good works so that we may be assured of our faith by its fruits. Paul comes back to this again in Romans 6. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. When we do good works, and we genuinely do them because we want to please God, these works are a confirmation to us. A confirmation that just as death no longer has dominion over him, over Christ, sin no longer has dominion over us. We are Christ's. 
Each day that we produce good fruit, we receive another reminder that God is at work in us. None of our good works come from our own strength. But brothers and sisters, if we take all our cares to the Lord in prayer and ask him to shape us into trees which bear much fruit, we have the assurance that he will answer us. Day by day, he is renewing us by his Holy Spirit, cultivating, pruning, reshaping. Sometimes it hurts. Sometimes it leaves us feeling far outside our comfort zone. But because we are rooted in Christ, we have the Holy Spirit working in our hearts, and we will bear fruit. And so be assured that God himself is at work in us. Finally, we do good works to win our neighbors for Christ. You are the light of the world, he says. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it on a basket, under a basket, but they put it on a stand. And it gives light to all of the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. When a man takes his faith seriously and devotes himself to the worship of God, it has a stunning impact on his life. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, we read elsewhere, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. When a woman lives out her good deeds, it can't help but pour out to those around her. People will see them and give glory to God on the day of visitation. Kids, when you live out your faith at school, you build each other up instead of tearing each other down. Husbands, you'll love your wives, you'll and wives, you'll respect your husbands, and this love and faithfulness will be stunning to the world. And all of this we do, not on the basis of our own goodness. All of this is not drawn out of our own personal strength. The Lord's Day says that we do good works because Christ. I don't know if you noticed that as we first read it. It doesn't say, why do we good work? Do good works. Oh, because we need to do this, because we haven't done that. No, it's because Christ, having redeemed us by his blood, also renews us by his Holy Spirit to be his image. It's Christ's acts that are the focus here. Good works are a response of thankfulness for what Christ has done in us. Moreover, they are, an, as an added benefit, show that Christ is at work in the believer. That's how James can have such a strong emphasis on works. What James is arguing here is that works are a visible sign of the faith that is present. Abraham was justified by his works because they demonstrated his complete and utter trust in God. James 2 verse 22, faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. By doing the work, by raising the knife over his precious son Isaac in that heart-stopping moment, Abraham demonstrated how far his faith extended. But it was not by his work, but by his faith that he was declared righteous. As we read in Hebrews 11, By faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall the offspring be named. He considered that God was able to even raise him from the dead. 
from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. Abraham did this by faith, showing how far his faith extended. But pastor, you might say, I don't have the faith of Abraham. And that list of things I didn't do, or the things that I should have done, the things that I shouldn't have done and I did do, they're really weighing me down. All this, beloved brothers and sisters, is not meant to discourage broken and contrite hearts. The Lord's Supper table is a beautiful picture of this as we see it here before us today. As the form points out, we don't come to this supper to declare that we're perfect and righteous in ourselves. On the contrary, we seek our life outside of ourselves in Christ Jesus. And in doing so, we acknowledge that we are dead in ourselves. We are also aware of our many sins and shortcomings. We do not have perfect faith. We don't serve with the zeal that God requires. Daily we contend with the weakness of our faith and the evil desires of our flesh. But that doesn't stop us. Because by the grace of the Holy Spirit, we are hardly sorry for our sins, for these shortcomings. And we desire to fight against our unbelief and live according to the commandments of God. This is the beautiful, beautiful message of the gospel. Yes, we are weak. Yes, daily we have to struggle with sin. Even our best works have them. But these become reasons for us to humble ourselves before God and to flee to the crucified Christ, to put our old natures to death more and more, and to long and strive for the goal of perfection. If we do this, then no sin which remains in us against our will can keep us from the throne of grace, because we know that God no longer looks at our works, but he looks at Christ. We no longer need to stand in terror, hoping we measure up, but we can freely offer our works as thankfulness. As for the weakness of our faith, remember, it's a gift of God. Look to the one who has said, to everyone who has, more will be given. And to whom was said, I believe, help my unbelief. Whatever is lacking, the Holy Spirit stokes up in us. And he'll intercede with groans that our words cannot express. In Christ, the author and perfecter of our faith, we find the goal of perfection. And when you fix your eyes on him, your father looks at you and he sees Christ Jesus and he says, there is therefore now no condemnation. Amen.